Peace and thank you, family, for tuning into Creative Habits Podcast. I'm your host, Philip Anthony. And I'm your co-host, Indigo. We're based in Washington, D.C. with leading discussions on topics surrounding pop culture, business, lifestyle, and art with an occasional guest appearance within the creative and entrepreneurial industry. Thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of Creative Habits Podcast. I'm your host, Indigo. I'm so excited to chat with Ebbs, who makes fun jewelry and art for fun people. She calls herself the slightly unprofessional hype woman, and I can't wait to learn why. Welcome to the show, Ebbs. Hey, thanks for having me. So Ebbs, first of all, I want to just compliment your entire swag. You are so beautiful. Your content is definitely a breath of fresh air. Today, we're going to dive deep into what it's like building your brand as a creative who makes art and jewelry. What came first for you, visual art or jewelry? Oh, my gosh. Definitely visual art. Um, My family, I come from a pretty creative family, like my um, father, I'm going to segue just real quick. My dad and mom, when they were young, used to love Dungeons and Dragons. So they would design their own characters. So from being little, I kind of grew from drawing comic book characters, drawing their original characters, tracing their pieces. So art has always been a really integral part of just me. That's fantastic. How did both um, your mom and dad be into Dungeons and Dragons? That is so awesome. I have no clue. <laughs> I don't know how it started. I don't know what happened, but that just was a thing. Maybe it was a time period. I don't know. And they both also really love comics. I had this large collection of comic books, so that was wow. always great. So are you originally from Baltimore? Oh, no. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm from Tennessee, Memphis, okay. Tennessee. Um, and I feel like when I'm not trying to get over a cold, you can hear that a little bit in the way I talk. Um, my friends often make fun of the way I talk, but definitely not a Baltimorean um, from upbringing, but I think I'm a Baltimorean at the core. Fantastic. So when did you make that move? When did you move to Baltimore? Oh my gosh. So I ended up getting a scholarship to come here to Micah and I had never been to Baltimore. So, you know, if you've ever looked at like the Baltimore brochures, Baltimore looks extremely picturesque. It's Mm -hmm. like, wow, this must be the loveliest city in the world. So I never been to Baltimore. I just packed up. I got the scholarship and I came to Baltimore and I've been here ever since. (laughs) The good parts, the bad parts, in between parts. And it's like, I still love it. (laughs) I love that little brief description of Baltimore because I had the same vision. I actually applied to go to Micah. Um, but unfortunately for me, I didn't get a scholarship, so I couldn't afford my dream school. So I ended up going to the Corcoran um, College of Art in D.C. They jam, though. <laughs> no, they don't, do. Don't they jam. They do. But like there was some sort of like love I had for Baltimore's grittiness when I got there. Mm-hmm. Like it wasn't at all how I envisioned it to be. But when I like got into that area, I was just like, this is my place. You know, like mm-hmm. I just loved the um, unexpected artsiness of it. (laughs) Like you don't really notice it to be that, but it it just looked amazing. So Mm -hmm. moving on, what is it like being an artist from Baltimore? Does the city inspire you in any kind of way? 
I had to really think on that because I was like, I genuinely think most of my art, most of my art is autobiographical. So definitely Baltimore inspires it. Like I had a whole series that I'm actually going back to and it was called Baltimore Girls. Hmm. And, <laughs> and it was based on, so when I graduated, you know, I don't know if they had this kind of term when you were in college, but when I was in college, it was called like a college bubble or the mica bubble um, of where you kind of experience the world around you through the safety of the edu- of like an educational net hmm. um, or even like through just um, your peers. Whereas when you leave that space, you're no longer supported by that small community. So yep. you're really just an individual explore, like you're finally an adult and you have to kind of explore it. Mm-hmm. And I remember when I kind of came up with that series, it's because I had graduated and all of my friends were Baltimore girls. Um, <laughs> and like, there was a time I was on, like me and my friends, we were going to McDonald's, right? And this was kind of one of those moments where I was like, Baltimore is very different. And we're in the drive-thru and one of my friends in the backseat goes, oh, snap, somebody's about to get, uh, what they say, banked. Somebody's about to get banked. What does bank mean? That's, Bank meant jumped, but I don't oh. know if y'all use jumped in DC. We use jump in Memphis. Jump mm-hmm. means like somebody's we, about to get We use jump, yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. And I never heard that term. So what I said out loud was, oh my God, they're about to rob McDonald's <laughs> because I equated bank with money. Right. So bank plus money plus McDonald's must mean that they're about to rob this store. And so at that moment, like I was like, Baltimore is very different. And so um, a lot of the (laughs) the characters (laughs) that I created and girls that I kind of drew a series of were called Baltimore girls because they were based upon how I saw my friends. It's like, Uh. um, I don't know if I should use the term bodacious, but very like um, outward, very extroverted, very like, this is what it is. Um, like one of the drawings that I have, I didn't send it to you all, but it's one of my favorites. It was actually gifted to a friend who just loved it. And it was a a drawing of this girl with like her lace front kind of messed uh-huh. up, but you could see like her pieces and you couldn't <laughs> tell her that she wasn't the stuff. And I love that about Baltimore. Like you can't tell people that it doesn't matter if they are sitting on that corner and all they have is a cigarette and a quarter that uh-huh. they are not the stuff. So I did a series of Baltimore girls. So yeah. I I like that. So, and that's what I love about your work too. And I was trying, I was going to ask the question, where does that come from? But she explained it beautifully, just um, the vibrancy and, you know, the unapologetic joy (laughs) that someone could have as far as like their presence. Um, What do you mean when you say slightly unprofessional hype woman? Because that drew me to like your profile (laughs) page. And I'm like, what does this mean? So I'm, I have to, I have to feel, I feel like I have to explain some of the stories. So for years I was a teacher, right? Mm-hmm. And I taught in Baltimore County, but I always said that I really taught in like the cusp schools right. where they're not fully like what you expect of the county. They're really more city schools mm-hmm. with a few more regulations. Um, <laughs> and one of the things I used to do with my kids, they would always say, "Miss Robinson, you don't act like the other teachers. And I would say that's because I'm not the other teacher. So what I would do is like, if they were like doing something that, would I guess be deemed as bad behavior, but I was like, you're just, you're just being you. I would hype them up and say, okay, well, you know, that's you do your thing. So that's why I say I'm more of an unprofessional hype, hype woman. Mm-hmm. And even in my current um, employment status, I feel like most people, we spend so much time kind of creating this filtered version of ourselves. And I'm at a point in my life, I just don't have the energy. <laughs> so, so it's always more of an unprofessional hype, hype woman. 
That's great. I love the description. And I, I'm just like, I relate to that a lot. You know, at some point it's like, who are you trying to pretend to be for? Like, mm-hmm. why can't you just be yourself? That's amazing. Yeah. So yeah. what did you teach when you were an educator? So I was I always say I'm, I was a long-term teacher, which uh-huh. basically means I was a substitute teacher, but I never call myself a substitute teacher because I feel like it has a bad stigma because right. some, some, sometimes when you go into substitute teaching, you may just go for a day or two, but I genuinely love teaching and I, my intent was to become a long-term teacher through the Baltimore County teachers program. So I would uh-huh. go into a school and I would take over classes where maybe it was a new teacher who became overwhelmed and they would leave and I would stay uh-huh. with that class for a year to two years so oh I yeah t- then you're definitely an educator <laughs> yeah and I, and I loved it and oftentimes mm-hmm. I was learning as they were learning so I was taking home the textbooks and learning right. and, and and YouTubing how to teach this or like how to understand it so I could then present that and so in a nutshell I taught many subjects but shockingly my favorite subject to teach was math mm. <laughs> math and art of course um, I wasn't very good at math when I was in school. And I think that's why I enjoyed it because it was like a, a second opportunity to understand something that had always kind of like bested me in school. And here I was now much older, having to go home, study, take notes, kind of regurgitate this until uh-huh. I could present it to my kids and being able to say, no, I actually struggled with this. And this is what I learned. And this is what we're going to do. Right. If you think about it, though, like that's the gift of being an artist, because you automatically have that inclination of being a critical thinker. So even though you're not good at something, you're still going to pursue it until you get it right. Oh, kind yeah. of like a painting. <laughs> yeah. Um, so how do you stay true to your concepts um, just in terms of jewelry or visual art? I think that's hard. I'm going to tell you what happened. And the Uh reason why I say that's hard is um, when I first started, well, I made jewelry as a child and I used to make jewelry as like Christmas gifts for my parents. Uh And so as an adult, the reason why I started making jewelry again is after graduating school, it's hard for me to find a job in my field, which I think is the story of most graduates. And so then I had to take up um, whatever job I could take. And that started out as a retail job I've been working 20 20 hours a week. So then I had to go, well, what skills do I have? So I also drew portraits. I um, I made jewelry. And I found that it was really a struggle to sell at that time. Mm -hmm. So then I just kind of left that. So when I came back to making jewelry, it was because I had a wonderful friend in my life who is just like a creative, like all around creative. And I think she introduced me to the idea of of what a creative is. Mm. Um, And I got back into making jewelry because she would go to markets and stuff and say, oh, this looks fun. I need something to do. So I started making jewelry again and um, selling. And I found that I was kind of inadvertently learning what styles I enjoyed, Mm. what styles sold. Um, so I think it's hard to say like how to just be true to yourself because sometimes your truth shifts because the way I started out, I was making very, I was catering to what I thought would sell. And I found that it sold in certain demographics or certain areas, but it wasn't something that I was enjoying making. So then I had to shift and I love painting. So then I started painting all my jewelry. I started trying to add more sculptural aspects and I'm still trying to do more of that because truthfully right now, I don't feel like the truth that I want to tell is what I'm fully telling. And I think that because of coming to that understanding, like what you're seeing now, 
probably by February will shift a lot. Um, mm -hmm. I've started purchasing new materials um, and surrounding myself with people who, who are really just spitting ideas at me, which is kind of beautiful because it's nice to not always have to just use my brain um, to either do research or find inspiration. Sometimes they just drop it in your lap. Like I had a, a really uh, sweet encounter with this uh, person when I was covering shop and he goes, oh, I love your jewelry. Have you ever thought about, and I'm like, yeah, taking notes. Thought about what? <laughs> and he starts telling me about like this drip texture. Show me. I'm like, oh my mm -hmm. gosh, it has me salivating at the mouth. This is so beautiful. How do I do it? So mm -hmm. then, you know, that kind of created another journey that hasn't been seen yet. So in a nutshell, how do I stay in my truth as an artist or jewelry maker? I keep exploring and I keep giving myself room to say that I am not competing with anyone else, but mainly competing with myself and where I want to be. And if this doesn't fit me anymore, how do I get to the place where I fit? That's really beautiful because you've clarified something for myself where um, I'm currently not at a point as a visual artist where I'm making things that are, you know, true to myself, yeah. but it's what, what I think will sell. So, you know, I've been thinking because a lot of the times, you know, when you ask like a regular person that's not a creative, what is your creative outlet? You know, they'll say, oh, you know, I do this or do that. Mm -hmm. But for artists, we also do have creative outlets. Oh, my so, God. you know, you as a visual artist, maybe jewelry is your creative outlet. So you're putting that thing out to be mm -hmm. your, I guess, your financial support, you <laughs> know, for something else or something that's kind of like a passive stream of income. So I was just thinking to myself now, because like the work that I'm doing or putting out that's selling is not necessarily my voice of something that I may put in an mm -hmm. art exhibit. Yeah. So I'm thinking like, you know, it's not it's not a bad idea to have mm -hmm. two different ways of how you define or describe yourself, because you also have to keep in mind that you do have to have a stream of income, you know, sometimes. Oh <laughs> so. Can I just piggyback on that? Absolutely. I appreciated what you said about like, even though for me, like my jewelry, I consider like I make, I'm learning to grow. But right. as far as an artist, I feel like I understand that struggle. As an artist myself, I think that's interesting because I found that what I was doing and the things that I'm creating as an artist and not just as a jeweler weren't weren't at a certain point true to myself. They were those things that, like you said, the things that sell and you learn to kind of cater to that. Um, and so now I've started keeping like, I don't want to say multiple sketchbooks. So I'm not really a sketchbook person, but I keep pocket projects. Okay. So, and I, and I, and I actually write more than I sketch. So I'll write down an idea of something that I'm passionate about. And I kind of mark it off with the star. If this is something I re really need to come to. And then I might use a different symbol. If this is something that I think could be marketable, whatever. Um, I think it's very important to still do the things that you're passionate about, because, you know, when you think about if you die, this may sound it sounds like it's in dark, but if you die tomorrow and someone were to go through, because someone will inevitably go through your things to throw them away or sell them <laughs> or whatever, what are the things that they'll piece together to see you? Like, will you ever have gotten the opportunity to present the real you? Mm. And it's interesting because like the work that I'm most passionate about, I thought wasn't sellable. And so then I started now recently looking for ways to kind of manipulate these pieces that I'm passionate about to market them as a more palatable piece. Because my intention is always as an artist to find ways, not necessarily to have other people understand me, but to make it 
um, presentable. Mm-hmm. Because I think sometimes as an artist, we get so focused on either ourselves or what sells that we kind of forget to like invite people into that space. They don't have to understand, but do you like it? Do you not like it? Why do you like, right. it? Why do you like it? I think it's more about the conversation of it. So in a nutshell, yeah, please, please keep making the stuff you're passionate about. Not just the stuff that sells, because that's the stuff that if you die and it never gets to a, gets to a gallery, that's going to be you. That is your, Absolutely. Your that's, that's me. <clears throat> and that's what I love about what you were saying is that you found ways to still have your voice in your jewelry work. Right. And it's helping you grow. So, yeah, I'm learning a lot while I'm interviewing you as well. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> um, so can you take us back to the day that you decided that you wanted to create a brand for yourself and a business through your creative gifts? You know what? That was actually a series of days. Mm. So I can take you back. And I, and I actually, <laughs> I try to landmark things now in my life to remind myself that in a year or in two years, when I look back, will I be happy about this? And it's not goal chasing. It's more like, am I growing in the direction that I see myself going? And I think at a certain point, I started thinking like that because <laughs> like I can think back to when I was younger. I don't know if you're like this, but I think every woman that kind of go through state goes through stages where we'll mm-hmm. look back at a picture and go, wow, I thought I was the ugliest person yes. in the world. And I was so cute. Or then five years later, you go, I thought I was so fat, but I was really snatched. You know, yeah. like <laughs> we like go through these interesting phases. I think looking at that at a certain point in my life made me start to look at myself like that holistically. Mm-hmm. So now <clears throat> I'll take screenshots or photos and I save them for days to look back. So the actual series of days that occurred when I realized that I wanted to create a brand for myself was when I started going to markets. And the last three markets that I went to with my jewelry, I actually completely sold out. And I made more money in four hours than I'd ever made um, in my life. Uh, Which sounds weird because when you put a cumulative, like there was one market I went to and I made $1,000. The market was four, four hours. So then I started thinking... I think I've learned also as a business person a lot yeah. doing this. I started thinking, wow, $1,000 an hour, this two fifty dollars an hour. What if I did this full time? How can I do this? So I started thinking. Mm-hmm. And then there was another, the next market I made like six fifty, dollars and the next market I made like 700 And then at the last market, someone said, what's your Instagram? What's your um, website? I really want to come and see more of your work. I didn't have an Instagram. I didn't really know what Instagram was. And I didn't have a website because I didn't think I really had a market. Mm -hmm. And that was the moment I realized I did have have a market. I needed to understand and find that market and that it was okay to grow. Um, I think I had to give myself that that um, opportunity, because sometimes when you're doing something, you're like, this is something I'm passionate about. I like it and I'm doing it just because I like it. It's scary to take that thing that you like. It's like your baby and go, hey, here's a piece of my, <laughs> this baby. You know, it's very weird. Um, and, and it sometimes makes you feel like you're pulling away from yourself. But I had to go, it's okay to let go of some of this mm-hmm. um, and to see where it goes. And so that weekend I started an Instagram um, and I thought it was so weird because, you know, I grew up on a generation of Facebook users and not understanding what was happening. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was very slow growth, but 
as I grew, I kept taking in people's other people's perspectives. I took mm-hmm. in their critique, um, even when it wasn't easy. Like I had someone say to me, "Wow, your work looks so much better in person than online." Oh. <laughs> so then, I mean, it was it was a little hurtful, but it was also like, "Yeah, you're right." How do I change this? Mm-hmm. And that created a series of adjustments for me of trying to figure out what was the best lighting for my work. Not only was the best lighting, what's the best background? I started doing kind of market research. I started going to websites that I felt were represent almost representative of what I would like to be in the future. Mm-hmm. Maybe not that big business, but how I thought my style looked. And I started trying to replicate that those those styles and, and the setup. I have not been successful yet. Um, I think I will be successful in the future. But right now, what I am successful at, it, it works. And I think that for me was a start of trying to kind of create a brand for myself. And it wasn't until really the beginning of this year that I really kind of leaned into just me. Because mm-hmm. at the time, I don't know if you remember back, um, what, a year or two ago. And truthfully, it's still very popular, like on Instagram and visual social media, where people have this very, what is it called? Like the the Nordic aesthetic? You know what I'm talking about? I actually haven't heard of the Nordic aesthetic. I don't know if that's what it's called. Yeah. I probably saw it on some website. Look, I've read a lot of stuff. Mm-hmm. But or describe like- it. It's where everything is very tan and soft mauve. Oh, and yes. Like very pastel muted blues and grays. Uh-huh. Where everything just looks very. Um, is it know. nouveau? It's not nouveau? It's no. kind of like a 40s Parisian kind of style. No, no, no. no. Really. That's more exciting to me. I actually find okay. that to be very exciting. <laughs> yeah. um, <laughs> But this is very, it's very modern, but mm-hmm. it's almost like a mix between like a farmhouse aesthetic. Like the color scheme is very muted. Mm-hmm. So if you, just, if you like scroll through Instagram, at some point you're going to come across a picture of a of a woman with blonde hair, a straw hat and brown fields. Or like if there's a photo of a cup, which is a mm-hmm. product, that cup might be on a dark brown counter with soft gray and tan. You know, everything is just very neutral. Okay, And I felt like that was really popular at the time. And I tried to kind of imitate that or emulate that. And I wasn't very good because I'm a very colorful person. Right. And I just found myself being like, this is not working or like I'm not either making sales or I'm not reaching the audience that I want. And Uh then I had to stop and go, I'm not reaching this audience because I'm trying to market to an audience that likes this aesthetic, which means they're not going to like this. And it's funny because you would think that that's like one plus one, but that wasn't one plus one for me. It was a process. Mm-hmm. So <clears throat> this year I really started delving into what do I like? And if I change this, if maybe someone will like it, maybe they want, they won't. And I genuinely found that I started to find my tribe and it's been wonderful. So at what point, since you have like landmarks or like <laughs> time <laughs> timelines that you kind of have memories of, what was that day when you're like, I found my tribe? Oh my gosh. You know what? It was actually when I started on TikTok. <laughs> I feel like this is weird because it's like every all of my life currently seems like it occurs on social media. <laughs> but as far as my art and, and my jewelry business, it really is mm-hmm. uh, source and power through social media. And the moment that I knew that I found my tribe on social media is I started finding that most of my followers or people who were reaching out to interact with me were very colorful people. 
Mm-hmm. They were just colorful. They were joyful. They were knitters. <laughs> they are like literally like just crocheting random stuff, um, making blankets and scarves, like crafters. And like that is like really to my heart because my mother was also a crafter. My mother mm-hmm. was a seamstress. Every prom period, she was like cranking out dresses and we might be sewing on beads. And so like to me, art, craft, none of it is very separate. So I knew I found my community Mm -hmm. when my following list and the people that I followed, followed, followed. That's that country coming out. (laughs) (laughs) And the people that I followed were crafters, knitters. They were sewing. Uh They were drawing. They were painting. They were painting on their backpacks. They were um, designing stickers and like the little pins that you put on your bag. It is like it, it is so joyful to me. Like, I absolutely love it. And I just knew at that moment, I was like, this is it. Like, this is my little tribe. This is my community. This is what I've been missing out on. And no, they may not be in front of me. Yes, I would love to visit their house and eat cookies. <laughs> eat cookies. And then, like, you know, cook them a, a pot of greens or something. Like, let's go ahead and trade off. And maybe you give me a scarf and I give you a drawing. Or a pair of earrings or necklace or whatever. Like, it may not be in person, but I genuinely um, resonate with this group of people and I'm grateful to see that there is such a large community of people who are passionate about being creative making whether it be a therapeutic outlet or Mm -hmm. like an artistic need or drive like that's my people and they're so great like you like I didn't even know where y'all came from but when you popped up I was (laughs) like I gotta figure out who they are and then I went to your uh I went First, I Googled you, and then I listened to the podcast about the artist who said he doesn't consider himself an artist. And I was like, this is the type of conversation mm-hmm. that I've been missing since art school. Awesome. Yeah, this and that's, that's kind of where it came about, because it's like both my partner and I, we're artists. And once you leave that bubble, like, oh. you don't, you have to figure out, okay, how do we continue? Because i thrived off of my peers mm-hmm. you know more than the institution but I really thrived oh, yeah. off of my peers <laughs> so oh, yeah. this is great so artists could either be introverts or extroverts what do you consider yourself and how does that show up in your work or your subject matter <laughs> I feel like this is cheating because <laughs> So I will say artists are also very curious and I think that Mm -hmm. oftentimes we navigate the world by trying to understand the people around us and ourselves. So Mm -hmm. I'm not going to lie to you. I have taken the Myers-Briggs test multiple times over the course of my life whenever (laughs) there have been big events. And I have always looped between introverted and extroverted. And it always said I was introverted with a leaning towards extroversion. Mm -hmm. And I think part of the, (laughs) it seems so weird, like I told someone before, um, once that I was introverted say, I don't think you're introverted I say okay well I mean that's because I like you right <laughs> literally that's yeah it. and I grapple with that as well because I'm like I consider myself an introvert but if there's a party and I know everybody you can oh, yeah. get a different type of person <laughs> you know it just depends <laughs> so <laughs> yeah yeah um, whereas like <laughs> extroversion I think is necessary well, not always necessary, but in some situations, it's necessary for us to like take in information because we're absorbing stuff even when we're quiet. Like Mm -hmm. I love taking walks. Like that is my thing. Mm -hmm. When I'm not certain what to do, I take a walk. I take a walk and I will pick different areas that I've never been through Mm -hmm. 
But weirdly enough, because of living in Baltimore, I also do Google Maps before I go into that area. So I don't know, know. yeah. What not to expect, right? <laughs> um, but you're taking a lot of information silently that way. Mm-hmm. And then when I um, sometimes I'm confronted with people that I may not understand, which is all people, but sometimes, like most of the time, we create a profile based on how people function. Mm-hmm. We kind of feel like we get them or we right. interact with them in that way. Sometimes I come across people I have no clue what to do. So that's when yeah. I become more extroverted. I start asking questions. I probably ignore it. I probably irritate people to the core of their soul. It's not my intention. Mm-hmm. I'm really just trying to understand a little better. And sometimes the things that I learn, they just show up in my work. So I don't know if that answers it. I'm a little bit of both. No, that answered <laughs> it. That answered it perfectly. <laughs> if you had any advice for a creative, what would it be? Um, does it have to be one bit of advice? Mm-mm, can be more. Great. I think the first thing would be surround yourself with people who are either passionate about what you're passionate about or passionate about something, mm-hmm. just something. Because oftentimes when you're a creative person, an artist or whatever you want to consider yourself, you may be that only person in the group that you know, unless you come from a household where you learn those things. And it can be hard. It can be hard because you will, I don't know, everybody's journey is different, but I remember for me, I wanted to be accepted and understood. And the way you think is often very different because you're constantly researching. You don't even know that you're researching, but you're constantly pulling from so many different sources and you're watching stuff that other people may not be catching. Um, And so it's easier when you're around other people that you can bounce your ideas off of. Mm -hmm. I would also give the advice to keep exploring things that you, that challenge you, Mm -hmm. like things that may be hard to do, do it. Um, and if you need to take a break, take that break, do something else and make sure you come back to it. Cause mm-hmm. that's really the, the project, the thing that's going to force you to grow It's hard because it's something that you need to deal with. So I think that's something very important to do as a creative. Also don't pigeonhole yourself into what other people may think a creative person should look like, act like, or be like. Mm-hmm. And the reason why I say that is like from personal experience, I can remember a time in which I hung out with a, a group of people that may not have realized that this is how they affected me, but I constantly felt like I was weird mm-hmm. because that was a term that was constantly used in reference to me. Um, oh yeah, Ebbs is the weird one or Ebbs is the... And they may have meant it in a very genuine and loving way, or that was the way they expressed themselves. Baltimore tends to be very blunt. People don't Mm -hmm. always think about how it may affect you, but it affected me. It made me think that all of the things that I was doing were weird. Whereas now I go, these things aren't weird. They're different from what they may do. And when you categorize things with a term that is not so loving, um, it's easy to deter that person from doing them it's really a social like it's a social mindset and so I would yeah I would suggest that any creative not allow themselves to be pigeonholed in a term like if you have to 
do so, it's okay to say, I don't like that, um, that identification, the way you identify me. I consider myself more interesting, more creative. These are the types of terms that I prefer. Weird makes me feel like this. Like getting older made me learn to be more direct mm -hmm. in the way I communicate about things that may affect me. And I wish that creatives that were even younger or even my age, because this everybody's journey is different, um, would learn that because I think it makes us take ownership of not just ourselves, but our work, because then we find the freedom to be as weird or as interesting or as whatever we are in our daily life, as well as in our work. That so. is wonderful. That is so beautiful. And I'm glad you said that because I felt and been told I've been weird my entire life. And it's something that I thought was a negative thing, you know, know. but once you find weird. your tribe, like when I went to university, I was like, these are my people and mm -hmm. I never felt weird, you know, never mm -hmm. felt weird in that space. So we're coming up to the last question. <laughs> what is one thing that you'd love for people to take away from your art? Oh my gosh. The first word that I thought is joy. Mm -hmm. um, but I feel like joy also comes with some underlying stuff like acceptance um, or at least self-acceptance. So I would like them to feel joyful. I would like them to feel like they like themselves and I would like them to feel authentic, whether they are purchasing a an art piece from me or a jewelry piece, because I define that my tribe of people who do support me financially through these pieces, they are not they are not cookie cutter. They are not, they are not just an unsalted Ritz cracker. Like these are good people. These are people that want sprinkles and whipped cream on a cracker, you yeah. know, like some interesting things. These are people who may have pink and purple hair and green nails and like monster shoes. And I'm all for it. Like I want them to be happy in themselves and to be able to express themselves as colorfully or as, authentically as they can with my pieces in their home or on their body. It brings me joy and hopefully brings them joy. I, I love that absolutely like so much. And I can't wait to support you. We're art collectors when we have money. <laughs> so, you know, when we, when we can support you, I can't wait to do so because I see that your work exudes joy. Um, Ebs, thank you so much for being a part of this episode. Um, it was very insightful. It was very motivating. Um, and I hope that our listeners um, think the same. Where can we um, continue watching your journey? Um, what, so, what is your social media handle or your website? So you can watch my journey on, I actually have two Instagram, one for art and one for jewelry, my main <clears throat> jewelry and art. Um, and that's at tbeads underscore T-E-A-B-E-A-D-S underscore. My secondary is at candid thoughts of a BBG, which is candid thoughts, the word of, the letter B, the letter B, the letter G. Um, and my third is my TikTok, which is at TBeats. <laughs> and thank you for having me because I've enjoyed it as well. It's been such a pleasure and I can't wait to follow you on TikTok. Have a great day. Thank you so much. You too. Take care. Take care. <laughs>